The Gospel reading is from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the gospel of the Lord. Our Father, we are grateful for, uh, for your Son that you sent to us. Uh, we're grateful for your Holy Spirit that you pour out on us. We're grateful for your word. And we ask that uh, by your Spirit you would speak to us this morning. Uh, would we meet you? Um, would you change us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please uh, be seated. And uh, we'll be uh, looking at uh, the second reading on page 7 this morning. Merry Christmas. It's, uh, it's still Christmas. Uh, I think it's the fifth day of Christmas if you're counting. And so we still have a few more to go. Uh, it's also uh, this time of the season uh, where um, we're right at the end of the calendar year. Uh, we're kind of looking towards a new year. And uh, I think a lot of us have mixed feelings as we, we come to a new year. Uh, how are you feeling heading into the new year? Are, are you feeling hopeful? Are you feeling cynical? Are you anxious? Are you apprehensive or, or joyful? It's, it's been, been quite a year that we've been through, and so uh, I can understand a, a, a number of different emotions as we, we approach a new year. Uh, ever since I was quite young, I've been drawn to, you know, those year-end lists that pop up right about now. seems like now, uh, it used to be it was on all the TV shows, the news outlets and everything, they'd have top 10 stories. Now it's all online, so, but there's still, you know, the top inventions of the year, the top sports plays of the year, the biggest songs of the year, or the top news stories. Um, you get to remember a bunch of things that you forgot happened this year. Um, you get to remember a bunch of things that you're happy to try and forget again. Uh, but even as I reflect on the year that is past and I think ahead of the year to come, one of the things I'm learning to do better is to focus on this year that's ahead with some measure of hopefulness. Because if I'm honest, uh, I tend to be a cynical person. 
I don't know if it's just me, but uh, this year I found it really easy to be cynical about a lot of things, whether it's politics or the state of the environment or race relations or trying to keep up with the pace of life. It seems like we're just bombarded with so many really intense emotional and, and things just invest a lot of us. Um, I don't know how many uh, the news stories this year were about some sort of a disaster or some sort of scandal or some injustice or, or some sort of conflict, some war, can be kind of overwhelming. And I'm not saying that there weren't uh, hopeful or positive stories, but uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just a glass half empty kind of guy. Um, those things stick out to me. But as, as Christians, we're in the midst of a season that's considered to be one of hope and one of joy. It's Christmas. And this posture of hope and joy stands out in the face of the world that seems quite tumultuous. But what's the source of that joy? How do we sustain hope where, when we're in the grind of everyday life? What I want to put forward for your consideration this morning is that our gospel text, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, presents us with Jesus coming to us in the flesh as, as a human, as the source of our joy and our hope, because this man, who is God, is actually the fullest, fullest expression of God's glory and grace towards us. So we're going to look at what God's glory and his grace are as seen in Jesus. If you've been with us over the past few months, you know, you know that uh, uh, Emmanuel, outside Emmanuel, have been walking through the book of Exodus. It's the second book in what we call the Old Testament. It's the story of God liberating his people from slavery and leading them towards a new land where they can settle and flourish. It's not a simple story. It's not an easy journey. We learn a lot about who God is, and we learn a lot about who we are through it. And we learn that uh, often, even among those who are oppressors and those who are oppressed, that uh, often our hearts are, are the same. Um, we are, are bent and broken, and we're in need of a savior to, uh, to liberate us from what binds us. So uh, this morning, as we're, we're looking at the beginning of the Gospel of John, uh, these first 18 verses are known as the prologue of John. So if you're familiar with prologues, if you're, you're more of a literary person, you'll, you'll know that a prologue is usually a short piece that comes before a story, which connects that story to some sort of larger or preceding narrative. It fills out some important contextual information that's crucial for understanding the narrative that is to follow. What we have in John's gospel is a story about the good news of Jesus. That is what his birth, his life, death, and resurrection mean for the world. And this prologue connects Jesus' life to the larger stories of creation, of God's purposes for creation, and God acting in history to reveal himself to humanity and make things right where things went wrong. John's prologue specifically connects two Old Testament stories which correspond to the first two books of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus. 
The first half of the prologue brings in the themes from the story of creation in Genesis. In the beginning, creation, light, and darkness, and God speaking things into existence. The second half of the prologue draws on themes from Exodus, specifically about God's presence, God's glory, the tabernacle, and the law given to Moses. This morning, I want to focus mainly on the second half of the prologue, verses 14 to 18, and draw out some connections from the book of Exodus, which help us see how Jesus is the most complete expression of God's glory and his grace. Glory and grace are two words that are repeated here, and they're important for us to understand why Jesus coming to earth as a human is such a big deal for us. So glory. In verse 14, John tells us that the word, made, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word becoming flesh is how John introduces us to what we call the incarnation. That's the word we use to describe God becoming human in the person of Jesus. That is a story we celebrate during this Christmas season and then follow all the way through to Easter, where Jesus, who's completely God and completely human, dies, a sacrificial act that sets things right between God and humanity. We've been introduced to the word already in our passage in John 1.1. The word is God himself. The word exists before all of creation. The word is personal. The word creates all things, speaking creation into existence. The phrase in the beginning deliberately takes us to the first words of the Bible in Genesis, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John plays with the imagery of light and darkness throughout the first nine verses of his gospel, again causing us to think about the creation story in Genesis. This serves to create within this poetic prologue because um, it's really more of a piece of poetry rather than just a straightforward narrative, it serves to create a sense of, of weightiness, of importance to the event of Jesus being born. John will expand on this through his gospel, emphasizes that Jesus is in fact the God of the Old Testament, especially through recording the many statements Jesus will make using the words, I am, to identify himself with God's name that he gave to Moses when he appeared in the burning bush. This leads us into the book of Exodus. You may recall when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. God, Moses is told to remove his sandals because the ground that he is on is holy. Moses asks God his name and is told, I am who I am. From that point on, God is present with his people. Moses goes back to Egypt and eventually Pharaoh lets them leave somewhat reluctantly after a lot of pressure. And we eventually see God leading his people as a pillar of fire and cloud out of Egypt. But then there's an explicit connection John makes to the Exodus story in John 1.14 that I want to highlight. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The phrase, the phrase dwelt among us literally means tabernacled among us. It's a curious word, um, but it, it finds its roots in Exodus. Uh, we have to jump back to the Exodus story and then kind of fast forward into Exodus chapters 
33 to 35. And there we enter into a story of God's people after they have left Egypt, they've followed God, and uh, God is setting setting them up to enter into the promised land. And we enter into the story of God's people shortly after. Um, what they've done is they've actually construct, constructed this golden calf um, where they're trying to figure out how to worship God while Moses has gone off to Mount Sinai where he's actually conversing with God and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. Israel's been away from Egypt for a bit and God's been providing for them the whole time in very many ways as they They enter a new life free from the bondage that they knew in Egypt. But Israel keeps returning to their old ways. And apparently they grew concerned after Moses had been away for a long time, 40 days, we're told. And uh, Moses is receiving these instructions from God. He's being given what we know as the Ten Commandments. While Moses is gone, they make their own aid for worship in uh, in the form of this golden calf. And Moses is alerted to what's going on by God and uh, he returns back down to the people and he's quite furious with them. God's not too happy with them either. Moses actually just breaks the tablets that the law was inscribed on them. And at that point in the story, everything seems to be a giant mess. And it's here in the story that we learn about a place that Moses had set up where he could go and talk with God, set up outside of the gathering of, of the people. It was called the tent of meeting. It's where God and Moses would speak face to face with each other. Later on, this would become known as the tabernacle, which is where God's presence dwelt among his people. So Moses meets with God in the tent of meeting in in the tabernacle, and often his face would glow from being in God's presence. It was something that actually perturbed uh, other people so much that they made Moses uh, wear a veil over his face, covering his face, because they couldn't bear um, what what, uh, what God's presence was doing to Moses. Um, And so in Exodus 33, Moses and God are are meeting in, in the tent of meeting, and they're actually discussing the issue of whether or not God's presence is going to continue to go with them as they journey towards the promised land, after Israel had disobeyed him yet again. And God's presence with his people was a really, really big deal. It's what marked them as God's people. And closely tied to God's presence was the glory of God. And God's glory was understood as the visible manifestation of God's power. It carried this sense of weightiness. It was often associated with, with fire or light. God led Israel as a pillar of cloud and fire. He stood as a pillar of cloud that lit up the night between Israel and Egypt's military when Israel was backed in at the Red Sea with no place to go, with uh, Egypt's armies advancing on them and God about to lead them through to safety. And when God met with Moses, Moses' face shone with light. It's in this meeting that that God and Moses have. Um, Moses asks God to show him his glory. God responds uh, by basically saying to Moses, well, you can't take the full force of seeing my face, but it'll hide Moses and pass by so Moses can just get a glimpse of him, kind of his backside as he passes by. 
Uh, Moses can't bear the full weight of God's glory, of his presence. Pastor and author uh, named Eugene Peterson uh, explained glory in this way. Glory is a light-filled word spilling out the extravagant brightness that marks God's presence among us. It's also used to ascribe honor and dignity and weightiness to mountains and weather and men and women. But the most prominent use in our scriptures is in relation to God. And if we return to our passage in John, it's striking then that God's glory is emphasized so emphatically as the word becoming flesh. It's not about this pillar of fire or Moses' face shining radiantly. It's about Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the one, of the, as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God's glory is not seen in his otherness here, but in his coming to us as a human being. God's glory is not abstract. Um, it, it is bringing dignity to humanity again. In a sense, God became like us so that we could become like him. God's glory is, is not a retreat from the world. It's seen in God coming to the world. And it's not a denial of the hardships that we face. God is present in the everyday challenges of this life. Jesus will walk through life. God, Jesus will walk all the way to his death. God's glory, his presence is with us in our trials and our challenges. There's another word though that, that's important in our passage and that word is grace. It comes along with, with, with glory. Verse 14 again tells us that the word made flesh, that is God's son, who we all know as Jesus, is full of grace and truth. This is revealing something else about God to us, his gracious disposition towards us. And again, this gets tied to something from the story of the Exodus. Verses 16 and 17 of John read, for from his fullness, from, from the word Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. It's a curious phrase, grace upon grace. Another translation of this passage reads, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. I think this gets at what John is trying to convey here. God's disposition towards us is first one of grace. What is grace? It's, it's simply being given something that we have done nothing to deserve. It, it's a gift. It's an unmerited gift. Something good that's given to us. Out of the overflow of who God is, he creates. It's God freely giving of himself. And he's constantly giving himself to his people. These are acts of grace. He is the one who comes to Abraham. He is the one who comes to Moses. And even his giving of the law to his people, it's an act of grace. The giving of the law in Exodus is just part of a progression of gifts that God is giving to his people. He brings them out of slavery. He provides for them food and water in the desert. He leads them by a pillar of fire and cloud. None of it is because they deserve it. In fact, they are continually grumbling and questioning and complaining all throughout the story of Exodus. 
And when Moses breaks the tablets that the law was inscribed on, God in grace again writes them out for them. God's grace seems to have no limit. God is in it with us. Whatever mess we make, whatever pain that we bear, broken relationships that we're in, or or, or just whatever we're facing, God's in it with us. God gives himself to us. Jesus, who is the fullest revelation of God's glory, is also the fullest expression of God's grace. Jesus is the one who makes God known to us. Jesus is the one who comes to us. But none of this really accomplishes anything in us if if we're not willing to receive what's being offered. Verses 9 to 12 of John, John 1, reads, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is grace in action. This is the wonder of God's glory come to earth. That despite what we may have done and what we struggle with and the secrets we hold and the bitterness that holds us, Jesus comes to us. He's the word made flesh. And to all who receive him, he gives us the right to become the children of God, to be called his children. He takes all that in and if we let him, he will make us whole. He may not take us out of whatever circumstances we're in or whatever challenges we're facing it, but he'll walk through it with us. There's a lot of hard things that, that we face. And it's easy to grow cynical when we don't see things being made right, right away, when we don't see things happening on our terms. That doesn't mean that God is not with us. Jesus came. He took our sin. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And he sent his spirit with us. Even while he's gone, we look forward to him coming again. And in this in-between time, There's a lot that we face. What guards us from being cynical, what what guards us from losing hope, is that Jesus came, that Jesus is the word made flesh, that he continues to be with us by pouring out his his spirit to us. And this is what gives us joy. That's what this season, when we remember Jesus, the word made flesh, joy and hope, Come from Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.